I'm Denzel Muhammad, and this is JobMakers. JobMakers is a weekly podcast produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Every Thursday at noon, I talk with risk takers, immigrants who create new jobs, products and services in Massachusetts and across the United States, building on the entrepreneurial spirit that led them to America in the first place. When we return, we'll meet this week's inspiring entrepreneur. When the world shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic, one company was already prepared to offer patients around the world and here in the U.S. expert second opinions from top U.S. medical professionals remotely via telehealth. Dr. Babak Movasagi founded Infinite MD in 2016, which connects patients with leading specialists in the United States through second opinion video consultations, thus potentially avoiding unnecessary treatments and guiding patients to better care. It was acquired by leading clinical advocacy and decision support company, Consumer Medical, last summer. Dr. Movasagi holds a PhD in biomedical engineering, a master's in theoretical physics, and an MBA and was once captain of the German professional football team. He previously served as VP of Innovation and New Ventures for Flex, a global leader in design and engineering. There are more than 40 patents and three books in his name, but it is his pivot from physics and football to healthcare and innovation that I find very striking, an extension of his ability to navigate multiple identities as an Iranian-German living the American dream. We'll meet Dr. Babak Movasagi when we return. Dr. Babak Movasagi, thank you for joining us in JobMakers. Tell us a little bit about your original idea and where it is now. Thank you for having me, Denzel. Um, InfiniteMD is a company that I co-founded with two of my uh, co-founders, Christopher Lee and Liz Kuo. The whole idea was over these years, I've been in healthcare for quite some long time now. And um, I, due to my previous um, jobs, et cetera, uh, I was always approached by friends and family and loved ones uh, that had a medical condition that wanted to basically get a confirmation if they're getting the right treatment, et cetera. And I brainstormed around this idea with friends of mine uh, during the uh, time that I was at MIT uh, to, that had the similar experience. We just happened to know some top, top specialists and friends from all over the world would reach out, uh, be it somebody with a disease in cardiology or a lot of oncology, a lot of cancer, am I getting the right treatment, et cetera. So we, we did help these uh, friends and family members, but not everybody had access to people like us, unfortunately. Right? So we came around the idea of providing a, virtual remote second opinion business, initially focusing for, uh, on international patients, where they could, interestingly enough, uh, this is five years ago, uh, use Zoom. We selected actually Zoom, nobody heard about Zoom before, 
uh, as the platform to have these virtual consults where we would go and collect all your medical records uh, and then provide that in a digital format to the doctors. So we built a whole case management platform on that uh, for that, where the physicians, the top specialists would able to review your medical records and then give you a remote uh, consultation, a second opinion on your existing medical condition. Uh, where the status is right now, uh, we, we uh, were um, quite successful, I would say, uh, in particular when, when uh, the pandemic hit, of course, telehealth uh, took off. Uh, we were able to help a lot of people uh, that I'm very proud of, a uh, phenomenal team, but uh, we were also able to be, uh, we decided to, to um, sell the company to one of our strategic partners, Consumer Medical. We are now part of the larger consumer medical family. So what role do you play with consumer medical and where do you see uh, Infinite MD as a part of consumer medical growing in the next few years? So I transitioned uh, as a CEO from, uh, initially I was the president of Infinite MD, then became the CEO, uh, focusing heavily on technology and also on uh, pivoting back to the US market. Uh, our our uh, objective was always to go to large employers uh, and payers in order to provide the service to them. Uh, one way to do that is you build a huge sales team, or sorry, you build a good sales team that goes out there and tries to sell this product to, to the large employers to be a part of the benefits. That's how it works in the US. In the US market uh, versus international markets, this is a free service for let's say you work for, I'm just making names up, right? Let's say you work for uh, Amazon or something and you have part of your benefits, also a second opinion service, right? Uh, and the payer pays, the employer pays for that. Um, so another way of getting access to those large employers is through channel partners that already have established these collaborations and consumer medical was one of them. So now I am, after the acquisition and integration, I am the chief innovation and the chief product officer at Consumer Medical. Uh, and it's a much more comprehensive product now because what we did, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, if God forbid somebody has cancer, the doctor doesn't have to necessarily touch you, right? So they just look at your images, your MRI images, your blood work, et cetera, see if you have a genetic uh, sequencing done. If not, maybe there's a, you know, you're lucky and you have a you know, mutation and you can uh, maybe get some immunotherapy, et cetera. Uh, but then what? Now you get a second opinion, which we changed a lot of lives. Our doctors, I would say, you know, 40% of the time would tell our patients internationally uh, that we're international, oh God, no, you should not get, get chemotherapy. You know, you kind of won the lottery in, in cancer and are actually eligible to, best candidate to uh, get immunotherapy after this, what I'm seeing at this sequence. And I know that you've said in the past that a patient navigator is something that um, people need just to be able to navigate the healthcare system in the U.S., to be able to understand the transparency issues. It's so complex and so daunting. Um, but I want to step back a little bit. Um, part of your experience in creating this company was brought on by your experiences with various healthcare systems around the world. And I would argue that perhaps part of your entrepreneurial spirit was um, developed in part because you yourself and your family had moved several times 
and you've lived in multiple countries and experienced multiple cultures, multiple healthcare systems, multiple identities along the way. Uh, guide us through from the very beginning, uh, life in Iran and what prompted your parents to decide to move. Yes, I was born in Tehran. Uh, we, I, I left uh, quite, I was quite young, um, almost a baby, uh, and where we decided to uh, move to Germany. Um, we, my parents decided that was before the revolution or after the revolution kind of, and we decided to move to Germany, uh, in order to, uh, see what's going on there. My father started in Germany in the past. So it was, it was basically a place that we knew very well. Uh, and you know, I don't have that much. I recently getting more experience about the healthcare system in Iran, but I do gained a lot of experience uh, in the healthcare system in, in Germany, where I went to school uh, and basically studied initially uh, physics, uh, quantum optics, but I did my PhD sponsored by, a, <laughs> interestingly, a Dutch company, Philips, with the research laboratories in Hamburg, but in collaboration with Utrecht University in the Netherlands. So I was, I was kind of all over the place in, in, in Europe in order uh, to pursue my PhD, which was focused into the medical imaging. Uh, my PhD thesis was on the 3D reconstruction of coronary arteries, uh, basically for the interventional cardiology in the field of interventional cardiology. So which is one of the, by the way, one of the largest, uh, most uh, common procedures in the world where you get stamping. So I was able to understand the healthcare system there. Uh, and there are a lot of parallels, of course, everywhere in the world, but there's also a lot of pros and cons, right? So um, it was very interesting, coming back to your initial question, the, the transition as a child from all these different cultures, you know, Iran, Germany. I also lived in the U.S. as a, an 11-year-old for two and a half years, by the way, in Knoxville, Tennessee, going back to Germany. Uh, so all those experiences have kind of opened my eyes that it really... Uh, it depends, unfortunately, on the location you're at to getting the right access to healthcare. At the same time, you do have top doctors everywhere, right? So you do have top doctors everywhere. Uh, just accessing them is hard and navigating to healthcare system. I, I'm interested in the, in terms of your education, how you swung into healthcare and why you thought that was of, of such importance uh, to you and to others. Well, I, I've always wanted as a child to, to help people, to be honest. And I know that sounds very cheesy, but it was, it's really something that I, I always had a desire, helping people. So as you know, in my family, we have a lot of doctors, uh, and which is very typical for Iranian family. Um, but I did study medicine, actually, in physics at the same time in Germany. And after, you know, I decided, wow, it's a lot of stuff that I need to remember. <laughs> and... I was more technology oriented. So I was more interested into um, creating the tools that physician can use to save lives, right? And I thought for me, it was all about impact and it still is. And it's not that I just like healthcare, I like technology, the combination of technology and healthcare. Those two combinations is what really drives me. So it's not just healthcare. Uh, and I think technology uh, can tremendously has helped uh, healthcare to the next level in every in every uh, you know Western medicine uh, category there is. 
what would this have been like starting a company, a startup in Germany? I think in, in countries in Europe, uh, although I have to say they're getting much, much better now, especially cities like Berlin and Munich, et cetera, uh, they're much more risk adverse, right? So it would have been harder for me to raise, you know, uh, the, the money that we raised, Series A, uh, and the seed funding that we got. Uh, it would have been much harder to, uh, over there is harder to get funding after a failure, right? So assuming that my first startup would have been a failure, then you're done in Europe, pretty much, in my opinion, right? Like, why should I give you money? You tried it, you burned the money. Versus in the US, if you fail, uh, investors, VCs actually don't mind giving you again another shot. Actually, they like that because you have more experience. So I think that would be, be the major uh, differentiator. I want to bring it into this moment of the public health crisis that we've all been experiencing. But before I do that, a couple of things that you mentioned I wanted to get clarity on. One is talent. Uh, Boston is obviously a hub for very educated people from around the world. Uh, what has the makeup of the talent that you've been seeking looked like over the years? Meaning, where do they come from? What kind of skills do you look for that might be unique? So um, one of the toughest thing in, in running a company is, uh, and this is not my words, this is from uh, one of our investors, uh, Chris Crowder always said that one of the toughest thing is firing people, but even tougher is hiring people. Um, it's really, really hard. I think that's one of the most critical items uh, to, to have the right talent, especially in a, in a startup environment where you don't have the luxury of, you know, um, hiring so many people. So they have to like really fit. And uh, in, in, in the Boston area, I do have to say, especially in healthcare and technology, there's a huge amount of talent, right? But one thing that we, I always personally strive for is you have to create a culture where top talent is willing to join. Uh, I, we had the luxury of uh, attracting, and I'm including my co-founder, uh, Christopher Lee, uh, to join me on this journey uh, by giving them a vision of to doing something that is higher than yourself. Once you, if you can create that and healthcare permits you to do that, right? Then you all of a sudden are able to attract talent uh, that is even willing to, to get paid less, but is working with a vision and for a mission uh, that is higher than themselves. I think that is something that is missing uh, with a lot of folks that just build companies or et cetera. Uh, yes, they can pay you a lot, but I, I've seen people uh, leaving phenomenal jobs, uh, very well paid, going rather to a company where they get less paid potentially, or they get less paid, but they really believe what they're doing has an impact. So I think that's that comes down to, and of course, you know, the resumes is important. There's a minimum of capabilities you need to have, but after that, it really comes down to the passion and to people joining your, creating a mission statement that people believe in. And there must have been people who inspired you along the way. Uh, did you have any mentors or anyone who stood out to you as someone who you wanted to emulate as an innovator and a business owner? 
Well, you know, I, uh, there, there are many, of course. I, I you know, I have, uh, unfortunately, never met my grandfathers, but I heard so many stories about them. Uh, from my father's side, he was a true entrepreneur and he started from zero and became very, very wealthy. And, uh, and, and he, he really was, was a street smart person. And you know it's that, and, and along the way, I, as a physicist, of course, I have a lot of uh, you know folks that I, former physicists, uh, not just you know Einstein and the Hawkins, but also you know the Newtons and Maxwells that I was you know really looking up to how they can see things and just understanding how to bring things together to innovate. So the, the innovation component was huge for me. Anyway, but. I don't have that. I, I look at scientists and how people uh, have fixed a problem because at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, all you do is fixing a problem on a daily basis. You just put on put off fires. That's all you do, <laughs> and you try to make sure you you have sufficient funding to you know for depending on the burn rate. So that's that's a skill set that uh, you can find in many many other areas uh, in, in in life. But that's a unique skill set, and I think. The fact that I was living in so many different countries and and had to always learn a new language and try to you know in schoolyards so they try to tell somebody uh, you know where do I you know how do I buy a piece of chocolate somewhere uh, and just to navigate your way around has helped me I think to uh, become a better entrepreneur. So you talk about putting out fires and. Last March, we had one big fire that started and then just spread and didn't stop. It was called the COVID-19 pandemic, where uh, the, te- the telehealth and telemedicine uh, sectors really obviously took off. Um, how has the landscape changed due to COVID? And what role do you see telehealth being played after this pandemic? Yeah, that is true. So. Telehealth, uh, I've been involved in telehealth uh, for, for quite some time now. Uh, and, you know, I've, I always believed in it. I did, I did believe that the future in certain areas is telehealth. Uh, and the pe- pandemic just, just was a time warp. It was just an accelerator, right? And before, you know, everybody knew Zoom. All of a sudden, uh, everybody was looking into case management platforms, how to exchange here. You know medical records and how to view uh, CT scans on your laptop, etc. So, I believe that uh, telehealth is here to stay. It will never replace 100% the the face-to-face patient uh, doctor relationship. But for primary care, for uh, behavioral health, I think, and also for specialty care as a follow-up, uh, it's a phenomenal tool that is just going to expand and grow, uh, continues to grow. Will we see the same growth we saw last year? No, I think we're going to go back, but we will never go back to where we were. Telehealth is something people trust now. I compare that with remote working. Uh, People, a lot of companies didn't believe that their employees could work remotely from anywhere. We showed that we can, and the same experience is in telehealth now. And we will even expand on that to your question, where is this going? I think... We will expand of in the future, even do remote treatment, or at least uh, starting with remote monitoring, right? So we can remote your uh, many 
important parameters remotely today. Uh, you know, there are a couple of pioneers out there that you know, send you the package. So you, as an example, on a daily basis, you can measure your heart rate, your respiratory, et cetera. And then a physician can then, or a nurse kick in if uh, things are uh, about to happen. I think predictive outreach is something that we will be seeing more and more. Uh, in the future, you will be able to get a call uh, from a from nurse all of a sudden and says, hey, we are worried that you're about to get a heart attack. Uh, we think you should go to ER right now, right? Because the watch you're wearing is giving us, a, you know, a predictive, uh, analytic, has applied predictive analytics that the chances of you getting a heart attack is like 80, 80% right now in the next you know, two hours. I think that's coming. Uh, so I, I see US actually being pioneers in this area. The other country that I have to, that I also worked with, uh, we have an office uh, in, in Shanghai, uh, so InfinitMDs, uh, we, we did provide services to many countries. One of them was in, in China. I have to say Chinese are, have been also very advanced in, in telehealth. These two countries are uh, very advanced. And I would say a couple countries in South America are catching up like Brazil, but Europe is still far behind. I want to pit the idea of telehealth and, and remote care uh, up against the fact that healthcare in the U.S. is extremely costly. Compared to many other countries, including developed countries, we pay a lot more for healthcare. And polls consistently show that the affordability of healthcare is one of the biggest problems facing families across the U.S. Does telehealth, and specifically Infinite MD, uh, help address this problem in any way? The short answer is yes. Um... In my personal opinion, in particular, uh, being not part of Consumer Medical, uh, Consumer Medical does help uh, tremendously uh, and in saving cost, right? And we do that in various ways. So let me let me peel off some of the things you said, and I agree with you. So it is it is uh, a lot of people always say that U.S. doesn't have a good healthcare system, right? And you hear that from a lot of uh, a lot of crit critics, right? Is it complicated? Yes. Do I believe that we have a good healthcare system? I think we have some, you know, in the US it has one of the most innovative uh, healthcare system there is. Uh, I think, so why is it that wealthy people travel uh, to the US to get treated? Why is it that, you know, a sheikh from Saudi goes to Cleveland Clinic or Johns Hopkins to get treated, right? And uh, so we do have some of the, best innovation there is. I think the government has done a phenomenal job in you know, funding these research activities, right? Uh, and I'm not just talking about like bringing out new vaccines out there, but there's a lot of innovation that comes out of the US. And the healthcare system, in my opinion, is you have access to some of the top doctors in the world here because they're very, very subspecialized. Uh, you don't have just a doctor that is specialized in lung cancer. We have doctors that are specialized in non-small cell carcinoma only, and they're really good at that, right? Now, there is a problem, I don't disagree, access to healthcare is a different story, right? And where we try to contribute to reducing cost is to give that person, as consumer medical uh, joining hands with IMD, the person that lives in this rural area, right? That needs to drive four hours to go to a top clinical institution, utilizing our services, to have a remote consultation, right? And then identifying 
uh, a new treatment that they should get and then identifying, you know, an hour or half an hour drive, a top specialist that they could go and see. And that's where we help because we try to, if you catch a patient that is about to go in the wrong trajectory, that's going to create cost. They're going to have all these wrong medications given to them. They're going to have all these X-rays and CT scans and, you know, potentially operations and surgeries that they don't even need. If you catch them early enough and we do, then we, we save everybody costs. It's, a, it's the only time I would say you could really truly say everybody wins, right? So the, the payers pay less, the patient has a better outcome, right? And as a society, uh, we, 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 we save, save costs and, and we increase the quality of healthcare. One thing we didn't get to talk about was your experience playing professional football in Europe. And you were the captain of the German national team, taking your team to victory, and it's something that you learned, as you mentioned earlier, in your two and a half years in the U.S. as, as a tween, right? Learning to play American football. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a, that was a crazy ride. Yes. So <laughs> how, how does a physicist and a medical scientist end up on the football field? Let me rephrase that. How does an Iranian-born uh, German kid that moved as a... 10 year old to Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, that was groomed to become you know, a professional tennis player, start playing pro football one day, right? So, look. Oh, you I, just made it so much more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, how the heck? So, I, I was sent to Knoxville, Tennessee uh, as a child to, as a high school exchange program, junior high school exchange program, to learn a language, live there with my cousin. And I had a blast. And then, you know, in, in the cool kids were these football players and I played tennis, but football gave me this team feeling, which was uh, very different, right? As a tennis player, you're mainly alone with your coach versus any team sport is just a different dynamic. And I fell in love with that. And look, I'm not the fastest, I'm not tall. Uh, so, you know, it was really, really a lot of hard work. And, you know, you asked me earlier, do I have folks that, you know, I look up to, in terms of entrepreneurship, I actually got lucky that I, I got coaches that believed in me, uh, that that recruited me uh, later on. Um, you know, teams like the sort of Panthers, the German champion, Hamburg Blue Devils, and then uh, later uh, West Chancellor, you know, pro all-star. Uh, and then I played together with uh, some really uh, top, top uh, players uh, in, in NFL Europe. It's going to take too long to explain how I got there, but uh, the seeds were placed in, in, in Knoxville. I came back from Knoxville to Germany, and my father's like, you want to do what? Play what? And I said, hot digger damn. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was a journey. But it also taught me, uh, you know, how to never give up. If you have a dream, just pursue it. And, and to... Once you had a lot of injuries, you just go back out there and give your best. And you can, you know, really achieve your dreams if you work really hard on it. Um, and if Europe was a phenomenal, you know, overall, I played 18 years and then, uh, you know, four years pro, you know, same, same years like, you know, uh, Kurt Warner, quarterback, et cetera. So, you know, those guys uh, were just different dimension, different world for me, but I worked really, really hard to get there and, um, and I had coaches that believed in me and the experience really helped me to become also a better entrepreneur, I would argue, 
because I learned how what team team work means, how it is important to have a vision and to try to pursue a joint goal, be it a championship. But most importantly, not to forget the the joy on getting there. Right? I really not just enjoyed winning. Uh, and I was, of course, miserable when we lost, but I also enjoyed every practice. So as an entrepreneur, I would say, don't forget the journey, which is beautiful. In any sport, the journey to achieving something is beautiful. Every practice should be beautiful. Uh, if you don't have that, then it's just be goal-driven uh, is not okay. Just don't forget to enjoy it. No matter your background, you can, you can really... Uh, fulfilling dreams in this country. So my experiences as an immigrant have been phenomenal, very positive. And um, I have uh, never felt so, and I, we, we talked about it briefly, right? So I, I mean, one, I lived in New York City a couple of years, Denver, Colorado, uh, and Boston. Those were my, my, my years here. Uh, especially New York and, uh, uh, and Boston, such a multicultural uh, hub. Right? I never felt more integrated uh, than anywhere else. Well, that's actually a really powerful thing to say. Um, and I, I think especially for our viewers, just being able to look at the multiculturalism of this center in the world, Boston, um, maybe a little bit differently and a little bit more positively. Uh, Dr. Babak Movasagi, Thank you so much for joining us in JobMakers. This was really a fascinating interview. I'm glad we were able to get into the football a little bit too. <laughs> you're, you're most welcome. I, I really enjoyed it. I love your organization. I'm a big fan, as you know, and uh, happy to help in any way I can. Thank you so much. So happy that you joined us for this week's inspiring story of another immigrant entrepreneur. If there's someone you think we should talk to, email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. And please leave us a review. I am Denzil Muhammad. Join us next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers Podcast. Podcast.